Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, first Merge Worlds of 2023. I'm just dating myself there, in case any of you are listening to this for the first time in the future. This is the first episode of 2023, and I'm pretty excited to get into it. Thank you all for coming by and uh, giving this episode a listen. Uh, happy birthday to the MT, and uh, have a good evening, Mr. Terry. I see you're heading to bed there, but thanks for popping in and saying hi. Uh, and Miss Ashley's here. Hello, Miss Ashley. Look at all these red dice. That makes me happy. Red and, red and diamond, that's the top two dice, baby. <laughs> My reference there is uh, in chat on YouTube while I live stream this. Uh, if you're a member of the membership program here on YouTube, you get a little D&D dice before your name that changes colors based on length, and all these little... Red and Diamond Dice are popping up, which are the, the long-termers, the two-year pluses. So hello, Miss Ashley, Mr. Jim, MT, and Mr. Terry. Welcome. And welcome to all of you out there in listening land. I appreciate this. Um, going to... Oh, hello, Jamie. Hello as well. Uh, going to throw just a couple little numbers at you folks here at the beginning. So um, got my Spotify Rewind today. I'm looking at that for 2022. Um, which I thought was uh, kind of telling. Because I don't have uh, any stats for the iTunes side of it or the Google podcast. I'm still looking into that. Um, but uh, it gives me some of the stats on how well the podcast is. And it's got a small following on iTunes or in Spotify and such. So I appreciate everybody who gives it a listen and a rating and such over there. Um, but... Uh, the, the one big number I took away from it that I, I was kind of proud of, it said that, uh, speaking to me, it said, I created 1,970 minutes of new content in 2022. That's how many minutes worth of podcast, almost just 30 minutes shy, half an hour shy of 2,000 minutes of content. And that that's more than 97% of other creators in my category. So the amount of merged worlds I put out in 2022 was 97% higher than the amount of content most people put out in their, uh, in their podcast yearly, which is kind of exciting, especially since the last two episodes are not up there yet because I ran into a bit of a loading problem, and I apologize for that. I should have them up in the next day or so. I know I said that last time, but uh, I finally got the issue fixed today. I got number 90 posted up there, but if I post more than one, it puts them out of order in, if I do more than one in a day. <laughs> so I have to put them up one day apart, put one up tomorrow, one up Thursday, and I'll be all caught up. Then I'll hopefully have this one up by Friday. So get them all caught up there. But today we're going to continuing directly from where we left off, uh, which was right with uh, Seraph's side of the story. We are continuing with them still. I told you we'd be sticking with this group for a while for reasons... Um, but, uh, we will get back to the other group in the, in the near future. Uh, we've got a little bit more Seraph's story to tell. So we're going to kind of take up right from where we left off because it's pretty close to at the end of that. Uh, with a brief recap, Seraph and his allies were in a city of Numeria, which was a trade city, a very large city, uh, that was open to all races. So it was a big hodgepodge of mis uh, mixed groups there, they kind of wouldn't stand out as much since they're not of all what you'd say, the, the, it's, their, their appearance definitely stands out in a normal city. But here they blend in a little bit better. While they were here, they met Red, 
who is a human who is a follower of fate, uh, which means that his he his path is directly uh, led by the powers of fate, which is a natural power, much like magic is out there. Uh, magic exists within the universe, although magic itself is controlled by the god of magic and the gods themselves. Fate has no controller. It's just a part of the natural order. And joined with him on a quest. They went south. They uh, Or went north, I'm sorry. Was it north? Yes, it was north. Went north into a great swamp in seek of a magical uh, circlet uh, thing you wore in your head that would help save a young man somewhere whose soul is trapped inside of a gem, get back into his body. It was a good cause. They teamed up to do that. They also picked up a young human rogue named Ward, uh, who joined up with them, and together they went and into the swamp to the place where this was kept, went through some tests and trials that did not end up quite like they'd expected them to. And uh, at the end of that, they managed to get the circlet and leave, but what they lost in that was the Realm Gate key, which is a key that opens up the portal system that allows people to transport great distances around Mer's world, which was what Red had promised to them in exchange for their help, a way to get home quicker. With the loss of that key, they are now still stuck far away from home, um, and have to try and find another way back. And so they were heading south back out of the swamp, the direction that they came, and that's where we left off. Also, I should mention that I am currently chatting to you guys on my brand new microphone, so hopefully the sound is a bit clearer uh, and smooth for you guys. I still have to fiddle with all of the uh, settings and stuff, but it should be a um, huge improvement over the very cheap, well, I wish it cheap, but the other old, the very old microphone I was using previously. Um, still tweaking with it, though. So, yeah, that's where we're starting off today, continuing with that story. We should run just a little over an hour. That's, I'm, that's what time I'm trying to keep things with. MT says that the sound is much better. Excellent. Glad to hear that. Trying anyways, right? Trying to prove it was the last component of my syst- my entire streaming settings, with the exception of my speakers, which I were already... There was the one thing on my old computer that was expensive already, because I wanted good sound on my old computer. It's the last thing I needed to repair, and now that I have everything <laughs> completely, from lighting to desk to chair to everything, is now all new since I started streaming. So I'm running on some uh, pretty good quality gear, uh, high-end stuff, and I appreciate all of you guys who help support that. All right, so uh, beginning, beginning. Uh, one last thing before I jump into the tale, just as an aside. Uh, if you've been following the channel for a while, you'll know that I'm a Merge World. You know I'm a big fan of Hero Forge, which is a website where you can design your own D&D miniatures, color them, and all that kind of stuff. And that's where I design a lot of the characters that I use on Merge Worlds. Uh, they are not a sponsor, but by God, I wish they were. Wonderful company. Uh, they put out so much new stuff in December. Uh, that you can use to make your own minis. Um, I highly recommend checking them out again. Uh, they do an advent calendar, and every day in December they release something new. Which is, they do that every year, and it's awesome. But one of the big things they just released was mounts. There's a whole bunch of different mounts and follower pets that you can now have as part of your mini. From riding on a horse, riding on a bear, riding on a pony, riding on a wolf. There's a whole mess of different stuff. A whole bunch of different critter pets as well. So if you have a character out there you'd like to even just design a cool little picture of a 3D image of what uh, your character looks like for your own D&D game, highly recommend checking out Hero Forge. Again, not a sponsor, just a big fan. Okay. So here we are. We're going to go ahead and start off as we do with a lot of reading today. My hand hurts. I wrote a lot. Let's see. 
It had taken them ten days to get back to the trade city of Numeria. Traveling back through the swamp had been treacherous, but successful. So if you remember, they were five days into the swamp, and it was about four to five days from Numeria to get to the swamp where it started. So they're heading back south. They don't know what's north. They don't know how far the swamp goes, because no one's ever gone in there and come back. They're about to be the first people ever to do that, that they're aware of. Uh, but they are going to go back to what they, to at least to the area that they know. Because for all they know, it could be months to cross the swamp, and they could end up dying in there. They only have so much supplies. Now, Ward had continued with them after picking up supplies in Darmet, which is that city where they met Ward, right on the border of the swamp. He decided to take his chances out in the world. And as they made their way through the gates of Numeria, he stared around in wonder at the size of it all, because Darmet, being a fairly large city, town, is nothing compared to um, Numeria. And he is kind of wowed by it. He's never left that city. He spent his whole life there. So uh, this is the first time he's been out this in the swamp. So he's pretty wowed and taken in by all the stuff and races and people and, and the, whole, the whole plot of it. They had no trouble passing through again, through the gates, and made their way back to the Old Willow. And the Old Willow is the inn that they stayed at the last time where Red came and found them. Dapper, who was the owner, was pleased to see them again and prepared a couple of rooms for Seraph, Dina, Deacon, and Mugen before setting them all down to a well-cooked meal. <clears throat> now, there's only rooms for those ones again because Red is going to be leaving. Probably. We'll see. Finishing his plate, Red took another drink before making one last attempt. Are you sure you won't let us come with you? He asked. I promised you a realm gate key and I lost it. My debt to you remains unpaid. I may be able to help you find another, or at least a safe way back home. Nonsense, replied Seraph. I know its loss was outside of your control. Still, said Red, I owe you much. I hate leaving you all here stranded. What does fate tell you? Dina asked, sly smile on her face. Where does it guide you? Red smiled. It leads me away from you now. And then he looked back to Seraph. But for you, this one time, I would ignore it. No, said Seraph. Your responsibility now is to get that circlet back to where it's needed. That young man's soul is more important. And you, Ward, asked Deacon. You will travel with him? Aye, I will, Ward replied. Red said fate is not yet done with me. I think I'd like to see what it has in store for my future. So... Ward, being new to the whole world and out and stuff, isn't just going wandering by himself. Uh, he's agreed to go with Red. Red's like, hey, it's your choice, but I will say, everything's telling me you should come with me, that our time together is not yet over. There's still something in store for the two of us together, and uh, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I think if you come with me, it'll be beneficial to the both of us. Uh, Ward, with nothing better to do, is like, okay, sure, I mean, i, I got to get a start somewhere. Um, so he agrees to go with Red to back... You remember this whole feeling of being able to finally help, to help someone is something he's been doing for a large part of his life. He likes helping others, and this is a, an ultimate attempt to save someone's life and soul. It doesn't get much better than that. So uh, he likes the positivity of what, was, what Red is doing and has agreed to go with him. Now the friends finished up their meal and then walked with Red and Ward outside to say their goodbyes. Red and Ward had made arrangements. They already have some horses. When they got into the city, they, uh, they had their horses and they're prepped, ready to go. Red embraced each of them, thanking them for their help. Last he came to Seraph, and the two men shook hands. Thank you, Seraph, said Red. You can't begin to understand the importance of what you've done for me here.
It was our pleasure, replied Seraph. If you should find your way through Serenity or Firemoon, please tell our parents we are alive and well, and that we're doing our best to get home to them. Because Red knows where that is, right? He's already been to Serenity, although he didn't talk to Draven or anybody there. He did pass through, so you know there. They're not saying, please go through that and get a message, because I'll be honest, Seraph really doesn't trust a message to pass from him, but he trusts Red. If you go through there, you can tell them. I trust you. You send a, a courier a letter or something like that, it could be intercepted by Oromon and no things. We, we don't want any of that. But if you go through there, happen. Don't make a special trip. It would be great if you'd let them know we're alive and doing our best to get home. So, Seraph went to remove his hand from Red's grip, because they were shaking hands, right? But Red did not let go. In fact, the man's grip tightened. Seraph saw Red's smile fade till his face showed no emotion. His eyes took on a glazed look, as though he looked right at, and though, and though he looked right at Seraph, it was as if he was looking past him. And when next he spoke, his voice sounded different, as if he was speaking from a great distance. The day will come, Seraph Bloodbane, long from now, when you will seek a different key, a key like no other. When that day comes, I will be there to help you unlock your future. Everyone stood a moment in silence. Red's face cleared and he returned to his normal smile and he let go of Seraph's hand. Red and Ward mounted their horses. As the two men rode away, Red called out one final goodbye. Farewell, Lord Seraph. I have no doubt fate will cross our paths again. The four friends watched until the two men were lost in the crowd. So, they've now left. They're going to be taking the circlet back to wherever it was. Because remember, he didn't say whose soul it was or where they were. Red was very secretive about that. Only that it was the type of person that Seraph and his friends would want to help. A positive person. A criminal. And their time with Red and the type of person he is, they, they 100% believe that. So they didn't really ask any more details, nor did Red offer any more. Ward doesn't know either at this point, but uh, it's possible he'll learn more about that if he stays with Red. I guess we might find out in the future. Hmm. So after a good night's rest, the friends found themselves in the exact same situation they'd been in before their adventure with Red had began. With no desire to see the northern swamp again, and the sea to the south, the most likely source of running into Oromon, it seemed like the mountain pass to the east was their best hope. It was unfortunately the opposite direction of Serenity. With little other options, their path was decided. So if you remember, they originally came into this area from the west, right? So they're coming in from the west. They don't want to go back the way they came from. They're not trying to backtrack. They know that there was Oromon issues back there. They're not trying to get back into that. Somewhere to the south is the Southern Sea. They don't know how far it is from here. They've gotten all jumbled and off course, and they're in lands they don't know. If they could get to the Southern Sea, they might have a quicker way back home, catch a ship. They have allies on the Southern Sea. they got Captain Endian, who they traveled with at the beginning of this adventure. Darsh's ships are down there somewhere. It's possible that they might be able to find a way to get closer to there where Darsh could help them. Again, they talked about if they could get to... Darshtopia, Darsh's lands, there's a mirror that would teleport them, basically a portal right back to Serenity as well. The concern is that Oromon also sails those waters, and they know there's Oromanian ships down there. That's how the, or, uh, the Oromanians chased after Dina. There could be more ships, even though Captain Endian was going to sink that one so it didn't return home. 
who knows what other ships out there may not actually be flying Oromanian sails, um, you know, flags and such. So uh, the concern is that there could be a lot of people watching the coastline uh, for Dina and her allies. So they don't want to go south. North is the swamp. They just went north. North was nasty. They do not want to go back into the swamp. So that just leaves them to the west. And I said before that the west, uh, as of tradition, is a great mountain range. And there's only one pass through it. Uh, and it is not safe for many reasons, which we'll cover a little bit later. Um, but that it's, it's not safe and caravans, large caravans travel through there every so often because it's much safety, safer in numbers kind of a thing. Um, and at this point, even though that's the opposite direction of Serenity, it's also the opposite direction of Ormond. And that's the direction that they've decided to take from this point. First, though, they decided to spend a few days in Numeria. First, resting and restocking supplies. Um, oh, sorry, in, in Numeria first, resting and restocking supplies. The mountain pass was dangerous, but they decided to go alone instead of joining a caravan. It was still best to avoid groups, because again, put your name on a list or you get in a group, who knows how many people are in there. Um, plus, with some of their other skills, Seraph's ability to climb and carry and go very fast, it might be easier for them to avoid trouble than it would be just taking the straight line through the pass. They don't know much about the pass yet, but it's something that they have to consider. They learn that the pass will take about three weeks to travel. Now, not all of that's in the path. That's the journey from Numeria there. It's about four days to reach the mountain range, and once they reach there, the rest of it's pretty much through the mountains. On the other side, um, there's a kingdom, which we'll talk about in a minute. The biggest issues, aside from just natural animals and... Uh, rocky crevices and things of all that nature and uh, rock slides and all the natural stuff you'd have to worry about. The mountains themselves are also infested with trolls and giants. Mountain giants. Which, for the record, bigger and scarier than hill giants. Uh, there are a multitude of different giants out there and they just keep getting bigger. Uh, mountain giants being some particularly uh, large ones. So... These are things that, again, hearing this and learning about that, they think, hey, it'd be much easier for the four of us to maybe sneak through without horses, even though horses would be nice. We might be able to make our way through here and not draw as much attention as a big old caravan full of horses and carriages and stuff that trolls and giants may try to waylay, which does happen on occasion, which is why they travel well-armed. So they decide to go on foot, and uh, they do, they're do. they going to need a lot of different food and supplies and drinks, so they make arrangements. Uh, some of it they're going to go ahead and get right here from Dapper, remember who's the owners, the gnome that owns the place. Uh, but then they're going to go out and see what's happening, what they can uh, get in the, in the, in the city. Um, so let's see here. So they're going to go out... And they're going to go shopping. So they leave the, leave the inn the next day. They get up, have a nice breakfast, you know, that kind of thing. Because, again, delicious food here made by their half-orc friend or the half-orc chef. And uh, they get out in the city and they start looking for things. They pop into some of the places they've been to before. Um, they stop at uh, where they got the Elven Blade. They see if they can get some more shot made for um, Mugen, even though he didn't use a ton in the swamp. Uh, it's going to be a long time probably before he has an opportunity to get any more made. And if they're going to be in town a few days make a few more arrangements. Shot being the little metal balls that are his bullets that he uses in his pistol. Um, making, you know, supplies. They also make some arrangements for clothing and things like that. Going through the, the, the mountains, they're going to be going up and into the mountains. The weather gets very cold up in there in areas, and so they're going to have to be a bit more prepared for colder weather. 
While they're out shopping, um, there's one brief moment I'll mention of, of importance, and that's where, you know, at one point, Mugen and Dean are looking at some stuff, and they walk by the window of a shop. Seraph looks up, and he sees, you know, like a wicker dummy, and on it is like a really pretty, like, ball dress, or fancy dress, like a noblewoman would wear. And he looks at it, in his mind, he can imagine, oh, wow, I'd love to get something like that for Dina. But then, you know, he, he gets to thinking about that, and he looks at the situation they're in, and he's like, gets, starts to get a little bummed out about that. Like, will I ever have the opportunity to do that? I mean, living on the road, I'm, I'm teaching her how to fight instead of giving her that type of life, which technically he could, you know, back in Serenity, he comes from a family of wealth, and he's more than capable of earning funds in a multitude of different ways legitimately. Um, he could provide someone a good life if they weren't, you know, running for their lives all the time. So <laughs> it's one of those things where he gets a little little bummed out about that kind of a thing that he, uh, he maybe he you know, worries he may not be uh, eventually get her to a place where he can you know, provide her the uh, type of life he thinks she deserves. What they do, though, buy is, like I said, warmer clothes, some things like that, woolen you know, jackets, so on and so forth, maybe extra blankets for bedrolls. Uh, they get an extra set of boots. They're going to be traveling through the mountains, and if you're traveling through the mountains, you're going to wear your boots down. Surprisingly, it's true. Uh, and they've been wearing theirs for quite a while now. So they make some arrangements for some new supplies before they go. They're also able to make arrangements to get some maps. Uh, and they get a couple maps of that area. This is, of all the directions, uh, besides south, is probably the most mapped direction because they send caravans through. There's, there's, they know what's that direction. So they're able to get a couple maps of that area um, and they learn a few things. That on the other side of the mountains, literally one day on the other side of it, is the kingdom of Tethos, which is an elven city. Um, Tethos is friendly to Nemeria and open trading partners. Um, while they don't dissuade travel through their lands, they are typically elven, which means they don't normally like anybody who's not an elf, right? They're much more tolerant than some other elven nations, uh, but they definitely do discourage other races from attempting to buy land or stay there. Um, what they have made arrangements with uh, Nemeria is basically a trade. Like, we're going to give you land here in our market area or stuff, or warehouse where you can bring your goods, you can trade them with people here, so on and so forth, and you will provide us lands over there in the same thing. You'll still own those lands. We'll own our lands. We're basically just lending use of them, equal trade there, um, so that at the end of the day, no one has a claim to land inside their kingdom. That was their idea, and Maria went along with it, because, again, they're trying to appease the elves here, because elven goods... Uh, are highly sought after, especially by nobles to find clothing and blades and so on and so forth. So they decide, okay, we need to go there. They get to talking about we need some type of a cover story. We can't just be four people wandering around all the time. And they've been throwing this around for a little while, trying to decide what, what are we going to do. They decide very quickly that they're not going to use fake names for a couple of reasons. One, it's not easy to use fake names when you're used to calling people something all the time. You don't believe me? Hang out with your friends <laughs> and just start calling one a different name. It takes a while to learn to do that, and slipping up looks bad. And to be honest, it would be a harder struggle for Mugen. Uh, memorization of that type of thing is not his strong point. Um, so 
they decide that they're going to keep their names but try not to use their last names at all, go by first names only. Last names are more te are more knowledgeable in the world of this type of thing. You know, son of Fire Moon is not as uh, as impressive as Deacon. There could be a thousand Deacons. There's only one Deacon Fire Moon, you know. So they're going to go by their first name still and avoid last names. Uh, and they decide that they're going to travel as traders of spell components. Um, they go back to the magic shop and they make arrangements. And again, these guys have money. When they left, they brought a fair amount of cash with them. They've had a couple opportunities to get a little more on the way. But uh, overall, they have a fair amount of money. So they buy some harder-to-get spell components. And Deacon, being a mage, is very knowledgeable about them. And it's going to be easy for them to kind of... For him to talk that talk while saying these people are with him that... Dina is his sister, which is something he's claimed before. Situation with them both being human, they both have brown hair. That's for especially you walk into elves or something like that. They're like, uh, hey, two brown-haired humans. Yeah, they're probably all related. I can't tell. <laughs> so playoff is their sister, and that Seraph and Mugen are hired for protection. They're guards uh, because while Mugen is not at first impressive, he very quickly becomes so if given the opportunity, which I think we've all seen in the past. So they come up with this cover story. They're going to be purveyors and sellers of, uh, of spell components and such. And they make some arrangements to buy some, we said, rarer components that aren't as easy to get a hold of from the magic shop that they went to, where they still remember them. They were just here three weeks ago kind of thing. And they're all, again, they were very impressed with Mugen's ability to be immune to magic. <clears throat> or in, let me, let, and I need to rephrase that, mostly immune to magic. I'm not saying he's immune to all magics. I need to clarify that. But he does have a, a very strong magic resistance. So um, they make those arrangements. And like, okay, cool. We've got a plan now. We've got a cover story. We've got some maps. We know where we're going. Once we get to this elven city, we're going to be far enough away that maybe at that point we'll be a little bit safer going south. Because what they learn is that the, the elves control the land all the way down to the southern sea. Elves, being who they are, will be a little bit more picky, and it'll be harder for Oromanians to sneak into an elven area since they're going to stand out more. So this might be a much better opportunity for them to head south to the water and try to make some arrangements to head back uh, west towards Serenity, or towards the southern kingdoms where they can then go north to Serenity. Getting to Darsh's island is really the prime goal at this point. It's a quicker trip. And it's an instant trip back to Serenity. So um, that would be kind of what they're hoping. So they make all these uh, arrangements and they get clothing and such and get some leather bags to hold it in. They spend a little bit of money so they can seem the part, if you will. And while traveling through the mountains uh, and just talking to people in the area, they learn that there are some relatively say mid-range spell components, flowers and roots and things like that, that grow throughout the mountains that aren't easy to get a hold of because of the dangers that are there, the trolls and the giants and such, that the, they think, okay, well, well, maybe on our way through, if we're being sneaky and taking alternate routes, we may come across some of that ourselves, which is just more stuff that we could sell, which just definitely help go towards that cover story that we're putting together. So they make all those arrangements... And they make arrangements to pick up some shot, and they spend some time looking around the city. Because uh, they were here a couple days before, they looked around certain areas, but they didn't see the whole place. Eric, me, won't I drink?
Thank you. So, as I mentioned before, the city is broken up into three districts. And while those districts merge together, and there's no specific race to thing, there was three kingdoms from three different cast, uh, worlds that were kind of crushed together here. And in the human section, what was the original human section, is where you would find the primary temple. And um, the temple itself, being again a city, there's goblins and orcs and everything else in here. Anybody who's coming in here on peaceful terms is welcome. Um, it is a temple open to all the gods. So while it is holy sanctified ground, it's one of those few temple situations where a light, neutral, or evil cleric could go there without having any type of negative effects. As such, none of them would receive any particularly perks from spellcasting there either. Um, sanctified land in mostly name only. Uh, so no particular god has blessed this land. It's just land set aside for the worship of gods. Um, so in many ways, it's the same as any other place, except there's not really one primary cleric there or cleric religion uh, that kind of runs the show. Uh, there are three different leadership groups, which again, we mentioned more of a, uh, a council at this point. But in that same human area, there's a castle against one wall where the human king was originally uh, the king back in the day. And then there was the elven section and then the goblin section. So they kind of tour the different areas, look at different shops and stuff. And they spend the whole day out and about just looking around um, and seeing what they can find. Uh, they managed to make a few minor purchases, come across a few fancy little doodads. Uh, but nothing of importance. They don't come across like magical potions or weapons or anything like that. But after a long day of being out and about, they finally make their way back to the old willow. And they've grabbed a snack while they're out, but they're looking forward to having a nice sit-down dinner before resting for the evening. Now, they're only about a block or so away from the old willow when Seraph notices someone coming directly at them. Uh, which, you know, if you're in a crowd of people and someone is kind of cutting through people coming directly at you, you're going to notice that. And he kind of, you know, casually stops his friends and waits to see what this is. He only sees one, but he starts looking around. Do I see anybody else? He does. No one else that he can see stands out in any way. But this one person makes their way up to them and once he gets closer, they can realize, they see that the man is an orc, a male orc. And a little bit closer, they can realize that he's a half-orc. And he kind of steps up, and he's like, uh, excuse me, sirs, I hate to bother you. Uh, do you have a coin? And Seraph and them are like, um, sure, maybe, I think we've got something. And he goes, thank you. And as he leans in, he's like, Dapper sent me to find you. You need to come with me right away. And then looking at him, they realize this is the half-orc that's the chef. They've not really met him or anything, but they know that there is one. And Dapper has sent him out to find him. And he kind of points towards like a you know side street. And they're like, okay. And they start following him a little bit cautiously. Right? Well, what, what's this about? <clears throat> and so when they kind of get to the side, he introduces himself. He goes, I know we haven't met. My name's Flag, and I'm the cook. 
at the, the old willow. Dapper sent me to find you. He said that there was danger for you all and that I was to sneak you in the back way, not through the front door. And Sarah goes, what kind of danger? He goes, Dapper didn't tell me. He just told me to sneak you in the back way through the barn. And they're like, okay, Dapper's been pretty good to us so far, and we know he does have a half-orc working for him. Okay, we'll go cautiously, but of course, Seraph is a little like, uh, you really the half-orc? You know, he's watching for that, uh, something to go wrong there. But sure enough, uh, Flag kind of leads him around the back way around a couple buildings, and there's a, like a stable area where people who stay at the, uh, the, the inn could basically leave their horses overnight, or their mounts if they have them. And he kind of leads him in a back door through that, through the stable, around a bunch of hay bales and around some horses and things, and then out a little side door into what is an outdoor garden. And it's, a, it's an enclosed garden. Remember, it's, the inn is built into a big tree, that kind of thing. And so there's like a, a garden area, wood up around it. It's very high. You couldn't really see over it. It'd be hard to climb in and out. But it looks like a little private area, right? And Dabber takes him through that, and into a back door, which is clearly to the inn. So it does lead them directly back to the inn. Uh, going through that back door, they find themselves in a uh, pantry that is off of the kitchen. <clears throat> the pantry itself, very well stocked. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good inn. They have quite a few visitors, so they stay pretty stocked. And uh, Flag's food is, is very good, so they get a lot of visitors for that, if nothing else. Flag tells them to wait there <clears throat> while he goes and gets dapper. They kind of stand there a little nervous, right? They've got their basic gear with them. But a lot of their stuff's up in the room, but they've got their swords and stuff. Nobody travels around without a weapon. That would be foolish. And sure enough, after a couple minutes, Flag returns with Dapper and all of their belongings out of their room. And Seraph goes, what's going on, Dapper? Because they've opened up, they've had dialogue with him. He's a nice guy. Look, he's a little gnome dude. And Dapper said, "He's very, you know, I'm very glad that Flag found you and got you back in here. There's a problem. Shortly after you left, a small group of men, four of them, came into the inn and started asking about you. Well, they never said your name specifically, described you down to the T. Perfectly. Especially the young lady here. And the questions, and they asked about you. If they, had I seen you? Uh, did I see anyone that looked like you? Blah, 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 blah. And then, very, very much so, most of the questions were about her. They were very interested in her and you. And he points to Seraph. They didn't ask as many questions about your friends, but definitely they were looking for the two of you. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, he offered me some coin for information about you. But I don't play that. He goes, especially since, you know, when your other friend arrived, the way you guys met at first, let me know you guys were a little concerned. Because remember when Red first popped up, they said, Sarah Bloodborne, they pulled their weapons and were ready to fight to protect Dina. Everybody in the inn saw that, including Dapper. Then they made good and everything was fine. But after seeing that, they're like, listen, clearly someone's looking for you and you don't want to be found. I could tell that by the way you're acting the first time. When Red, your, your friend, Red, showed up, and uh, these guys were clearly hunting for you. And they were not the friendliest of people. Now, I told them I hadn't seen you. 
I didn't see anybody that looked anything like you. They must have got their information wrong. And uh, I'm not going to lie, the, the, the gentleman who's talking, the one who did all the talking, the other three just stood there silently, didn't say anything at all. The one that was doing all the talking, I'm not going to, he got a little angry and uh, tried to get a little pushy. Tried to intimidate me in, into, into information, saying that they had heard word that you'd been seen in or around the inn. Now, one thing I'm not going to tolerate in my inn is somebody talking to me like that. And uh, Flag here, <laughs> heard it, came out of the back with his wood chopping axe. <laughs> and uh, we made it quite clear that these gentlemen were not welcome in my establishment. And if that should they have a problem, that was a problem, they'd be happy to call in the city guard and they could talk about it. Now, if you'll remember, I mentioned that the city guard in this city is no slouch. These are very high-trained warriors and mercenaries who will thump a skull in a heartbeat. They keep the peace at all costs. They don't tolerate fooling around or fighting inside. So if someone's in there causing problems, especially with someone well-known like Dapper who has an established business, I'm sure you can understand the guards are clearly going to take his side over some strangers who happen to be showing up uh, causing problems. So the men left, but they did say that they'd be back. And I'll be honest with you, Sheriff, I, I believed them. Now, of course, the friends look at each other knowingly. They know who this has to be, right? He says, can you describe them? Sure, they're all humans. Short cut, dark hair. Very rugged jawline. Dressed all in black. No particular markings of any kind. <laughs> They're like, yep, that's all the marks. <laughs> that's kind of what we're thinking there. And so immediately they know this has to be Oromon. Somehow Oromon's tracked them to the city. So this puts them in a rough spot. They have to make some decisions very, very quickly. Do we try to leave now without getting the rest of the supplies we were looking for and try to make it through? Can we even get out of the city without being caught at this point if they're watching the inn? Did we make it in the back door and not get caught? Because, you know, Dapper was doing his best to help us, but... He doesn't understand quite what Ormon can do, what their capabilities and what they're willing to do are, you know? Were they possibly seen? Now, Dapper says that he doesn't want any trouble in his inn, but he totally felt that these guys were bad news. Again, like I said, after the way uh, they were being very pushy and such. And he goes, so if you want, I'll call the city guard. I can call and report them that there's people in here causing a disturbance and trying to cause problems with some of my guests. Now, I've got enough sway with the guards that I'm sure they're going to take our side on this. If you, if you want some protection, I can do that for you. And Sarah, of course, declines. He's like, no, the last thing we want is to draw any more attention to the fact that we're here. Because even if it's true and you get us protection, we totally believe you, these people that you're talking about have great reach and great resources, and we can't stay in the city forever. So it's best if we can find our way out of here, out of the city, as quickly as possible. Now, by this point, it was getting, I told you, it was later in the day. They've been out running around all day. And by this point, the sun was just going down, or just had just gone down. And Dapper makes it clear. He's like, well, the gates of the city are closed. They, they are closed. You, you're not getting out through the gates today. And I wouldn't recommend trying to sneak out over the gates you know, sneaking in and out of the city, again, is not very successful. People don't pull that off. Again, very well-guarded and protected city. You know what I mean? The people who live in the city love that. 
there's almost no trouble in the city because it is literally crushed very, very quickly. Um, but at the same time, sneaking in and out, there's a lot of protection. You, and of course, they don't. He doesn't quite know Seraph's capabilities, and if anybody could sneak in and out, it might be them. But he's like, hey, you know, you get caught doing that. That's not going to go a long way to your case. Should this end up coming to the guards or city magistrate or something like that? And so Dapper offers to hide them in the cellar. He goes, I got a cellar. It's kind of cold down there. It's cool. I'll get you some blankets. You could hide down there for the rest of the night and then try to sneak out in the morning. Maybe cut a little early, be at the gates when they open. The friends talk about it for a minute and end up declining. Clearly, this place is going to be watched. And the longer they're there, the more likely more people will hear being to see it. Uh, and they really don't want to bring any trouble on Dapper. Dapper and his employees, his staff, have been nothing but gracious and wonderful to them. And Dapper, not really knowingly, has already put himself on the radar of pissing off Ormon, right? Ormon is assassins and thieves and that kind of stuff. They don't want anything to happen to Dapper or, or any of his staff there. So uh, while hiding in the cellar is not a horrible idea... Much like it is zombie apocalypse, never hide underground. Now, I know you're thinking, Draven, what does this have to do with Dungeons and Dragons? Not a whole lot, but if you ever hide underground, you have nowhere to go but up to where the zombies are. If you're up, you can always come back down uh, very quickly if things break. But don't hide underground. I'm just telling you. I'm a friend here. I'm helping you. Old roommate John taught me a lot about zombie survival. I'm just trying to help you. But they don't want to be stuck underground, same situation, because then there's nowhere to go but one exit out, and if they did, the inn did happen to get rushed by a bunch of Ormon and they took it over, they, they, they may lose before they have a chance to fight back. So they determined, no, they're going to go ahead and sneak out and see if they can find a place to hide till morning, and then try to make their way out of the city through the day's rush. Right, because a very busy city, a lot of wagons and people going in and out with trades to the outside. There's a little town built around the walls, as you'd normally find. Little villages all over the place, farmlands. Very, very well populated lands. There's a lot of people going in and out of the city through the multiple gates uh, at any given time. So they're hoping to kind of get lost in the crowd. So Dapper understands. Okay, that's, that makes sense. Well, what can I do to help? And they're like, we did not have a lot of time. We, we made arrangements to get some traveling resources. Do you have any food we could take? We'll pay for it, of course. Do you have any of the, some of the supplies that they need? They got the clothing and that stuff already, but they'd made arrangements to get like three weeks worth of dried meats and rations and stuff, picking that up before they left the city. Now they're not going to have the opportunity to do that. The last thing they want is to go do more shopping with Ormon, shopping for them. So they... Dapper's like, yes, I, we can definitely take care of that. He sets flag on it immediately. He's like, I got all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we got dried meats in here, and I got cheeses. I got some breads you can take. We'll stock up as much as we possibly can. That's carryable, you know, and that's going to last you uh, as long as you possibly can. It may not be enough to get you all the way through the mountains, but you've got a couple days before you get to the mountain pass. You'll pass through a couple villages... If you're careful, you might be able to go in there and, and buy more supplies. Or if you're afraid of the road, you know, maybe even do some hunting before you reach the mountains and, and get, you know, increase your own supplies naturally. Because once you get into the mountains, finding food will not be easy at all. Because they, they already talked to Dapper. That's where he, they, a lot of the information they got about the pass was from Dapper, which is why he knows approximately which, what, they're, what they're doing. So if you're wondering why he knows that. 
So once again, he provides them all the stuff that he possibly can, and they make arrangements to sneak back out. Flag goes out first, and casually walking around, goes into the barn, kind of kicks around, looks around the barn a bit, and then comes back in after about five minutes, like, okay, there's nobody hiding in the barn. I didn't see anybody watching. Uh, the sun's down, so it's relatively dark, but it's still early in the evening, so the streets are still pretty busy. So there's, there's people to get out lost in. You're not going to be the only people on the street, right? So, again, they thank Dapper and Flag for all of their help and for the, for the wonderful food and everything. And then at this point, uh, they say their goodbyes. And we have a question from Miss Ashley who says, who has the hunting and foraging skills? Excellent. Excellent question. So, um, depending on what we're looking for, it's going to be a little bit different. So, when it comes to hunting, uh, it's going to be Seraph or Deacon, right? Um, Seraph has spent tons of time out in the woods with his dad, staying with his dad out with Tevin, who would have shown him living off the land skills, and there's times that Seraph has to just disappear with his dad for sometimes weeks on end, right? Because we know about Seraph's little hunger issues. Um, <laughs> so, he, uh, he has that type of skill, of he has some of that skill himself. Um, so, for foraging, um, that's going to be him on across the board. Deacon and Dina both bring in a large amount of herbalist knowledge, right? Because she, her, her grandparents owned an herbalist shop. She grew up dealing with roots and flowers and all of that kind of stuff. So she has a very wide array of knowledge of plants and such, uh, not only from, a, from for many purposes, medicinal, uh, whatever, uh, medicinal as well as for, um, you know, spell components, potentially, um, or even edible things of that nature. Uh, so she's going to have a lot of knowledge there, as is Deacon from what he knows of plants and spellcasting in the same regard. Now, when it comes to scrounging, you've got Mugen. Mugen grew up scrounging in the holes of New Gully. So, you know, finding things to live off of where nobody else could is what gully dwarves can do. That, that's, that's how they've survived the time that they have. Uh, in a world where everyone is bigger and meaner and treats them like crap, gully dwarves survive purely based on their ability to scrounge in the worst places no one else would ever go to. So, definitely, when, nothing, when all else fails, he's going to be the one to pull a rat out of somewhere or something or, you know, show them how to make a meal out of trash. Like, it may not be the most edible thing, they may not think it's great, but he could definitely show them ways to survive that they would not naturally consider. And I would think that that would, would make sense, right? Think about the world we live in today, right? <clears throat> if you and I went to, like, some other country where, and then just dropped off in, like, no man's land somewhere, um, people there would know how to survive doing things that we would never even consider, because it's never anything we've ever had to take of. You know, whether it be all the people out there who eat bugs as a regular meal. There, many nations do. That's a regular meal. Bugs is a thing. High in different you know, nutrients and so on and so forth. My first thought is not to eat a slug, but maybe over somewhere else, eating a slug is a way you stay alive it's more likely that Mugen is going to be the one to kind of help them in that regard and find those uh, really hard-to-find ways to survive that are last-ditch efforts. So all four of them bring different skills to the table. Um, Deacon would be able to use a little bit of magic uh, as well. Uh, you know, see a rabbit, a magic missile. hate to waste a magic missile on a rabbit, but, you know, or a deer, but that's an option. And Seraph 
can go long periods of time without eating regular food as long as he has his special canteen. Um, he still has to eat and drink. He still requires regular food and water. And he can't go as long without... He can go longer without food than he can water, because even he requires water. But food-wise, he could go longer. So he could go longer periods of time. If they had to stretch out resources, he could not eat a day. And he'll be a lot fine, more fine than the rest of them would. So that's always a worst-case scenario option as well. But they do have four days before they hit the, the mountains. So again, berries, uh, meats from any animals they might catch, any rivers, fish, you know, things like that. There's, there's opportunities for them to stock up on some supplies that are more perishable and then save their meats, dried cheeses, dried bread, save the hardtack, which is very common. That's what's known. The hardtack is the food that's dried and will last a very long time. Your salted fish and meat, things like that. Um, save that for down the road when they don't have access to fresher foods anymore. Uh, they also get some several other canteens and such. Uh, they hook them up. Uh, Dapper hooks them up with more things to hold water as well, uh, so that they can make sure that they fill up on the multiple streams that they'll come across before they get to the mountains. So there's plenty of opportunity for fresh water in the four days it'll take them to get there. Good question, though. Mugen carrying a tiny box of seasoning to Mordor. Yeah, yeah, that'd be it. Him pulling out some of that, uh, some a box of allspice. Or some of that Red Robin French fry shaking stuff that they happened to find somewhere in... Uh, oh, we found, a, we found a warehouse full of this stuff in New Gully. It's delicious. You put it on everything. <laughs> red Robin shaking salt. If you've never had Red Robin, they have a French fry seasoning that's delicious. My wife loves it. I, I buy a bottle. They sell it by the bottle there. I, I keep one in the house for it all the time. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so Good little tangent there. Sorry. So they make their way out and they sneak out through the, through the barn and back out. Okay? Um, so, like I said, the sun is down, but the still streets have a lot of people. So they're kind of making their way through the crowd. And they're doing, right now, their best to stay in kind of the middle of the street. Now, obviously, they're not going to walk into traffic. But streets could be busy and sidewalks, people, throngs of people going in different directions, trying to go back to their houses for the night, people shutting down stands and businesses and things. So there's still a lot of people, and they're trying to stay in the crowd. They're a little bit harder to notice. And they move as quickly as they can away from the old willow, A because they're avoiding Ormond, and B, they really don't want to bring any danger down on Dapper and his, and his family. So, they begin processing what should they do, and they didn't have a lot of time to talk about it. So as they're making their way down the street, Seraph and Deacon are kind of talking, and they come to a consensus that their best bet would be to avoid other inns, right? They already have, if they've already been checking the Old Willow, that means they're probably going to have people watching other inns as well. So, there's a lot of inns, but they don't know how many Oromanians are here. We're going to have to avoid any place that would be expected. Uh, so that's going to be flop houses, anything like that. They really don't want to stay on the street all night because there's no cover there. So after thinking about it, they decide they're going to try to make their way to the temple. Temples very often will have a place where people can spend a night or spend an evening, or even if they just stayed there on the steps, usually a lot of homeless and such, they would have a little bit of more protection there should they need to. Um, and... Seraph always has that card in his back pocket. Hey, my mom is the high cleric of Elizon in Serenity. We need your help. You know what I mean? Pull that card out at a temple, 
he might be able to get some extra assistance or even just some protection to stay there till they can figure out what's going on. So they determine to make their way to the inn. Now that's clear on the other side of the city at this point. They're going to have to make their ways across, and time is of the essence. Because the longer they're out there, the less people there are on the streets, the more they're going to stand out. So they begin making their way across the city as quickly as they possibly can. They do their best to stick to side streets and alleys, you know, whenever they're not in a big crowd, if there's not a lot of people. But as the crowd dwindles, they have to do that more and more often, which is slowing them down. They can't just take a straight shot there. They're trying to stay side out. And they don't, have a, they don't have a map of the city. They're going based on direction as best as they possibly can. Probably once or twice, Seraphs had to scale a building to look over it. Like, oh, there's the temple way over there, kind of thing. So eventually, as they're making their way across the city, it's uh, the crowds have really began to dwindle, and they find themselves near a large area that is uh, storage. So we're talking about some warehouses. Most cities, even medieval cities, would have a place where goods and products could be start, uh, stored. Uh, businesses or um, merchants will have these type of places uh, where goods can come in or prepare goods to ship out. Um, surprisingly, a lot of goods that enter a city to sell never ever get seen by anybody. You know, if this village or you know buys a thousand sacks of grain, dude's not going to bring that to the store and throw it over the counter, right? It's like, okay, cool. It's at the warehouse. You go pick that up. Here's my paper. They'll give you the thousands. Throw it on a wagon. They leave. It's you know that a lot of that type of stuff goes on. So there's always a section like that in any city or kingdom of any size, including Serenity. Interesting thing. If you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're a DM, it's a great place to use. There's always going to be one. It's always where thieves hang out. <laughs> if you're going to go typical stuff, a lot of cool warehouse dungeons are very easy to put together. I have a whole adventure I wrote uh, called The Kingdom of Kite which is based on a uh, thieves' guild slash uh, warehouse type thing. It all takes place inside of a city. It's a lot of fun. Maybe one day I'll tell that as a side story. It's a merge world story. Completely different characters went through it, though. Let me know if you're interested. Um, so, as they are making their way through that area, there's hardly anybody out here, Right? This area, it's now late enough in the evening. There's not a lot of traffic over here. Most of the warehouses are shut down for the night, other than whatever little guards are protecting the warehouses because they're going to have security. These are goods and products in there, right? They're making their way around. So as they're walking, they're, they're walking through this area, they see a, a group of guards, like city guards, four of them, probably holding torches, walking up the street. The streets are lit. There's people have lit braziers on poles. I mean, they've got street lights here kind of thing. But it's not as lit as it would be in the more populated areas. And they're walking through this area with no real reason. So they decide, you know what, it's probably best if we don't get snagged by, for all intents and purposes, the cops right now, and have to explain why we're wandering around this area. So they decide to cut up, they see an alley between two warehouses that's still going to be taking them in the kind of in the direction they're looking to go. So they decide to slip in that alley and make their way, uh, hopefully, to the temple, which is just on the other side of this section. All right. Now I read. As they made their way between the two large buildings, avoiding the broken crates and trash strewn about, they could see the way ahead eventually made a 90-degree turn to the right, likely leading behind the warehouses. 
They were nearly at the turn when Seraph heard the soft yet unmistakable sound of a blade being drawn. He yells out, ambush. Ambush, he cries, as he quickly drew his blade. Deacon, Mugen, and Dina drew their weapons and moved back to back as the shadowy figures dropped to the ground around them. All in all, there were nearly twenty of them, dressed all in black, faces covered. They'd seen them before, and Seraph and Deacon recognized them as Oromanian elites, Oromon's assassins. So again, flipping back to those who may not remember, Oromon has an elite fighting force known as the elites. They always come in pairs, they never talk. They uh, dress all in black. They're kind of, I guess you'd say, ninja-y looking, but not really of that style. They just—they do have their face with just their eyes covered, uh, but their armor is a bit more armor-based. It's not just like a ninja suit. They actually have some armor on their... Um, but they're very, very sneaky, quiet, and they have uh, always always wielding uh, long swords plus ones. They're dual-wield. It's part of the training. And they're taught to fight in pairs. Uh, you'll remember that Deacon, Mugen, and Seraph ran into some of these way back in Arduel near the beginning of the adventure. And that's when they first found about found out about Dina's, the whole linking of the chain to protect her and such. Um, and they had to fight some back then. Nearly 20 of them drop. Now, I want to lay out how this lays out. The alleyway, right, straight straight alleyway. And they were heading, they were heading one direction. Uh, not the band. <laughs> and the Armand's dropped on both sides of them. The alley's not super wide, so they're not encircled by people. Right? The sides of them are still walls. But there's like ten on this side, ten on this side. There's, so they've got on two sides. And the buildings are tall. Seraph could probably hop up on a roof super easy, but the rest of them couldn't. So there's no fleeing over the roof real quick. But they drop, and they're not super close in range. They're relatively close. They're, they're far enough away that you can't just swing your sword at them. They left a little bit of space. But they're blocked in both directions at this point and can't go either way. Now the Orimanians stood still, surrounding the friends, and yet they did not attack. Seraph saw another man walking towards them down the alley. And he's coming from the same direction they came from. He walked past the elites to stop before them. In the name of the Emperor... Put down your weapons and give yourselves up, and I promise you will not be harmed, he said. Not bloody likely, murmured Deacon. You've made a mistake, sir, said Seraph coolly. What you think you have found, you have not. Leave now and take that knowledge with you, and you may yet still live through this night. Please, scoffed the Oromanian. You are drastically outnumbered. I have men across the city. There is nowhere left for you to run. It is time for this silly game to end. It's time for the princess to come home. Seraph looks at him very coldly. Your people keep saying that. And they keep dying. It seems you will fare no better. I promise you, Dina will never set foot on on Oromon soil. And now, neither will you. Deacon released the spell Seraph had heard him quietly casting, and a blast of flame shot forward down the alley in the direction that they'd been going. It's not the direction where this guy was talking to Seraph. It's the direction they came, but the direction that they were going, right? Seraph's going to try clear, or Deacon's going to try clear that way. They want to continue 
away. Deacon's quietly casting a spell. Seraph's got that good hearing. He can hear him casting a spell. Now, he doesn't know what spell it is. Seraph is not a mage. He has had no desire to learn magic. Um, but he knows Deacon's cook is doing something that's going to help them. So he's partially biding time in conversation to give Seraph the time he needs, or Deacon the time he needs to cast the spell. Sure enough, a gout of flame blasts down the, uh, the alley. Now, Ormanians, I'm sure some get burned and injured, but they do fall back. It doesn't, like, burn them to a crisp or anything like that. But it is a gout of flame that causes them to, to back up. At the same time, Seraph bursts forward towards the leader, who'd come from behind them, the direction that they came from. To the man's credit, he'd been expecting this, but he was still surprised by Seraph's speed. He barely managed to get his sword up in time to defect, deflect Seraph's strike. The man was a skilled swordsman, but he could never match Seraph's speed and strength. Fortunately for him, he didn't have to. Seraph was immediately attacked and was fighting four elites as well, so he's now fighting five guys, not the restaurant. Luckily, the narrow alley kept any of the others from going around him to the others. So the alley's benefiting in this regard. Sure, he's fighting five guys, but there's more, another five or six guys behind this that can't get through to them. They're blocked. His friends were also fighting a group of elites, but with not as much success. The elites were Ormanian's best, though they were somewhat hampered by their orders to take Dina alive, a limitation Seraph and his friends did not share. So, this is kind of the way that they've practiced. This is the kind of, that basically, Deacon and Seraph, if it was the two of them, they have a fighting style down pat. They've been doing it for years, they've been trained together since they were kids. The two of them together. But now that they have two other people, they've had to find a way to battle to protect them while still using their strengths. So, it's basically Seraph on one side, the other three of them on the other, who are also having to deal with four or five elites. Now, normally, Deacon might be able to hold his own some, but Dina's nowhere near enough trained to take on an Oromanian elite. Mugen, Mugen's got Mugen, Mugen Ken. Uh, Mugen is, biggest perk is that they just don't know how to fight Mugen. He's so small, and he's so quick, and he patch, has such a big punch you know, that the Ormanians are just not used to fighting someone of that style. And so uh, they're, they're constantly having to shift and give room to Mugen, not knowing what to expect from him. Dina is using what she's learned, but they're just deflecting. They can't attack her, right? You can imagine if one of them even accidentally scratched her, what's the emperor going to do to them, right? <laughs> that is my sister, the princess, bring her. That's their orders. Unscathed, unharmed. Bring her back, no matter what. So that's the biggest edge that Deacon and Mugen have on this regard, is that while they're defending, the people are trying to be... Ex the elites are trying to be careful to hit them, but not her. Yet she can be in there and just, At the same time, she can't overreach herself. They grab her and get a hold of her, all's lost. There's nothing they're, they're going to hold back to kill the rest of them at this point. So this is kind of the fighting style that they have you know, been practicing. You three on one side, me on another. Because Seraph is the equivalent of three. Uh, in many ways. I just wanted to kind of lay that out for you guys so you know what's happening here. Uh, but, 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 but where was I? 
After just a couple minutes of fighting, because fights don't really last that long, surprisingly, uh, fighting, Seraph had managed to seriously wound two of the Ormanians he'd been fighting, the elites. But with each one that fell, another was ready to step in and take its place. Seraph could see more elites arriving in the entrance of the alley. Seraph knew that if he didn't do something soon, they would be overwhelmed. So Seraph sees more. There was already like 20. And he sees more of them coming down the entrance of the alley. Even Seraph has to use common sense in this situation. He's smarter than that. He's trained. We, no matter how good we are, eventually we're going to get overwhelmed by numbers. We have to find something to do here. We have to find some way to break out of this quick before that overwhelm happens. Then, the unthinkable happened. Mugen cried out in pain as an elite sword stabbed through his shoulder. Clean through. Stabs him right through the shoulder, right below the collarbone. It's hard enough that it punches through the little guy's skin and right out through his back. The little gully screams in pain and anger and put, grabbed his pistol and put it against the elite's chest and pulled the trigger. The metal bullet went through the man and into, and into another behind him. So literally grabs his gun from his point, puts it up against the guy's chest who stabbed him, pulls the trigger. Bullet goes clean through the dude's chest and hits a guy behind him, and that guy goes falling down. This thing patches, packs a punch. He can't reload it real quick, though. It is a slow reload. The force of the blast caused the original one, when it was pressed against his chest, to fall backwards, which pulled the blade from Deep Mugen's shoulder, doing even more damage. Right? He fell backwards, kind of wrenched it to the side, and he does, but he doesn't let go. The little gully stumbled back as blood flowed freely from the wound. Seraph could do little to help as he did his best to hold the line. Fear for his friends and Dina flooded Seraph, as well as anger towards the Oromanians, causing it. He fought harder as his vision began to grow red. Now, we've been here before. You think you know what's going to happen. Suddenly, and I actually wrote it this way, about that time, there was an explosion of magic and electricity from behind the elites that were fighting Deacon. Battle in the alley ceased immediately and momentarily as the screams of those elites rang out through the, through the alley. Seraph took a moment to look back. Dina had pulled Mugen behind Deacon, who had been doing his best to hold off the elites on his own. Past Deacon, so again, he's looking down the direction they were running originally. Down at the end of the alley where it goes to the right. He's looking past him. Past, past him and past the charred and destroyed bodies of the elites stood a man, the source of the spell. He too was dressed in black, but also in gray, with a hood pulled over his head. His face was fully cloaked by the darkness. Several other men stood by him. They moved forward, though their gait was awkward and unbalanced. Quickly, my friends, came a soft voice from the hood, followed by the chanting of another spell. Seraph didn't know who the hooded figure was, but right now he'd take any allies he could get. Go, he cried to his friends, as he quickly spun his blade around uh, at his foes. Again, the speed caught their leader by surprise. The man turned his head to dodge the blow, but Seraph's blade cut into his cheek and sliced out through his open mouth. So I want to explain that. The guy, he swung for this guy's head. The guy tries to turn, and the blade catches him on the side of his cheek and slices 
and comes out his open mouth. So it literally slices one side of his mouth all the way back to his jawbone. But then, but he turned his head enough that it didn't hit the other side. So I want you to picture that for just a moment. The man screamed and fell back as his face fell open. Seraph used that moment to turn and rush towards his friend, scooping up little Mugen on his way. The hooded man's allies moved past them, and both Seraph and Deacon recognized a sweet, sickly smell. They didn't have time to discuss it, because another blast of magical energy went over them, striking the Oromanians. Nice reference, Ashley. <laughs> Running, the friends reached the man. Follow me quickly, said the figure, turning, turning around the corner. Because remember, 90 degree turn. They followed him a short distance to the open door of one of the warehouses. He led them inside, and they ran, they ran through the building, running past crates of unknown goods to the large door on the other side. It was unlocked and opened a small amount. This is a big type of doors that you would, were on wheels that you would pull. Oh, it's Jim? <laughs> the type of doors that are usually on wheels that you can pull apart, they slide, and then you chain them in the middle. They're pulled apart a little bit, enough that they can squeeze through. Uh, where was I? Uh, yes. Okay. Large door on the other side. It was unlocked and opened a small amount, and they managed to squeeze themselves through, only to find themselves on an empty street. So the warehouse is street-facing of the, of the town again. The hooded figure didn't stop, and they continued following, following him to the alley across the way. A short distance later, the figure stopped and opened a door, bidding them inside. It appeared to be a small home, sparsely furnished. The figure locked the door and then quickly led them down some stairs into a small cellar. The cellar itself smelled old and dank. Clearly it had been there for a while. Dank being one of my favorite words to describe things. Uh, right up there with fluffy. Is old and even seems dusty, unused, if you will. A large metal shelf sat against one wall, packed with barrels. That in itself is somewhat odd. Normally shelves in this type of world are going to be built out of wood, so metal shelves is not very common. The figure pointed to the shelf and bid Seraph to pull the shelf forward. Seraph gently set Mugen down and did as he was directed. The shelf was heavy, even for him, but it slid forward, pulling, bringing a section of the wall with it. A hidden passageway lined behind the open wall, and they quickly moved inside. Deacon picks up Mugen at this point, which he can. On the back of the open wall was a metal handle, almost like a pole, was bolted to the back of the wall. Seraph was able to use that pole uh, the, to pull the wall and shelf back into place. So it's clearly a hidden door. The shelf is attached to the wall, but when you pull it up, one side of that shelf, if you will, comes out from the wall making a door. On the back there's a bar, you pull it closed again. It's very heavy. Normally it would take several people to pull this open. Or one seraph. Okay. The, uh, was able to pull it back into place. The man lit a torch and led them down a sloped, narrow tunnel that looked quite old. So down. It's going down underground a little bit. It's not going flat. Finally, after about ten minutes, the tunnel opened into a small natural chamber. There were a couple of other exits, but nothing else was in the room. So natural chamber means it's a cave. No one hollowed this out. It's a natural cave underground. So it's not part of a sewer system or anything like that. It's natural. 
They put down Mugen and began to tend his wounds. It was deep, and he'd lost a lot of blood. They knew that their healing potions had almost no effect on him. So they dug instead into the herbs and salves that they had with them. Put the candle back. For the record, that is my favorite Mel Brooks movie, is Young Frankenstein. And I applaud you, Jim, for the wonderful reference. Put the candle back. <laughs> I'm going to watch that tonight. Um, so they knew their healing potions aren't going to work on Mugen. Because he's, they've been injured before. They fought, right? They've, they've had other battles. In the, you're sure he would have tried one at some point. If nothing else, when they were in the swamp fighting things, and he'd almost died two or three times. And they learned that the healing potions had almost no effect on him. So while his magic resistance is a boon in most situations, right now it's a severe hindrance. Because it, healing potions are all that they have. None of them are clerics. None of them have the ability to cast a healing spell. So instead, they start digging through their salves and herbs and stuff that they have, because they know this about him. you think they'd have some bandages and stuff, probably not prepared for a wound quite this severe, but they have some stuff prepared. Use this, said the hooded man, handing Deacon a small satchel. Inside, Deacon found a bottle with a foul-smelling paste. With little options, he began to treat Mugen's wound with it. So, this guy, whoever he is in the hood, says, use this on your friend's wounds. He says, use this. And inside is one bottle of a stinky paste of some kind. They start using it. Thank you, said Seraph to the man. We owe you much. Had you not arrived when you did, I fear we'd been lost. Yes, agreed Dina. Thank you. Seraph steps, steps towards the guy casually, yet at the same time kind of putting himself between this gentleman and his friends, right? Imminent threat behind us? Slightly gone. What are you? Been an ally so far. Let's see. So he steps casually, trying not to be too obvious about it, but clearly it's going to be obvious either way, puts himself between this hooded figure and his friends. And while I fear sounding ungrateful, Seraph continued, who are you? Why do you risk yourself on our behalf? The man raised his hands and pulled back his hood. The flickering torchlight showed the gray, near-black color of his skin as his long white hair fell free of his hood and over his shoulders. The drow elf before them smiled and bowed. My name is Vincentius. I said it wrong. My name is Vincentius, he said, and I've been sent to help you. That's where we're going to stop for today. Short one for today, but I needed to get to that point specifically. My name is Vincentius, he said, and I've been sent to help you. Put the candle work. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's good stuff. So they are standing in an underground little cave underneath the town. With a drow elf, who's clearly a spellcaster. Relatively powerful one, based on the spells he cast up top. And who has some knowledge of the city. He knew this hidden stuff was here, right? And he just saved their lives. And has now said, I'm here to help you. I've been sent to help you. That's the important part. I've been sent to help you. Well, who are you? Who sent you and why? 
from Jim over there, I get an um. Question, Jim? <laughs> well, I wait for that question. Uh, I made one of those horrible mistakes earlier today. It's Merge Worlds based. That's why I'm telling you all about this. Uh, when I, sometimes I bounce ideas off of uh, knowledgeable people when it comes to D and D, um, and well, you can ask that question in chat, Ashley. I'm okay with it. You're hundred percent correct. I just got a message from Ashley directly via Facebook. Uh, but uh, I bounced some ideas off my wife and uh, inadvertently uh, basically told her fifty percent of how Merge Worlds ends. And then I had to have a big, long conversation about how she can never tell anybody. And that Ashley and Jim will try to worm it out of her. And that she can't tell them. <laughs> Ashley just asked a question in chat. And you know what? I'm going to answer, or in, in personally, I'm going to go ahead and answer that question uh, on chat. Uh, no, it's okay. You're okay to say it. It's meant to be known. Uh, Vincentini, Vincentini, oh my God, I can't believe I'm stumbling over his name today. Vincentius uh, is the is the is a drow elf of quite note. If any of you've been with us for a while, you'll remember that Vincentius is the son of Nilat Fireman, Deacon's uncle. So we've seen this man before. In fact, he even popped up in uh, a city not too long ago. Causing some anarchy. Which kind of led to Seraph getting away from his captors and such. Hmm. So yes, Vincentius. Now, I am going to tell you this. He doesn't give his last name. He just says, my name is Vincentius. And I've been sent to help you. What does that mean? Who sent him? How did he get here? We're going to find that out next time. As we continue the uh, Seraph's saga, as I said, this, uh, this section is going to be very Seraph-heavy for a little while, and there's reasons for that. But uh, before we get back to the other group, a fair amount of time will have passed. So when we go back to the other group, we're not going back to the time this started. We'll be going to, basically, when Seraph's story, we get to an end point... The other group's story starts that same day, kind of thing. The section of Sarah's story. I got so much more to tell. But, uh, uh, yeah, so time will be passing, and that will be explained when we get to their story. I've had some people ask about it. That's why I'm clarifying. But that's going to do us for this episode. Thank you very much for coming by another uh, fun, at least for me, episode of Merge World. I hope you had some fun as well. Uh, if you have any questions about this or anything else, you can join my Discord, uh, Only Draven Gaming. You'll find links to that down on my YouTube channel or my website, OnlyDraven.com. Um, these can also be found, these uh, can be found as an audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, if you have iTunes or Spotify, it would be wonderful if you wouldn't mind going and giving the podcast a follow over there. Maybe a like, all the stars, some reviews, however that works. Uh, it would greatly appreciate a little bump in that algorithm so I can get the uh, Merge Worlds in front of a few more ears. In front of ears? Near ears. In ears. We'll go with ears. But if you're listening to us on there already, thank you very much as well. But I want to thank you all again for giving me the opportunity to share this story. I'm having so much fun with it, and I'm very, very excited uh, to continue this next section of the story, uh, which I think you're all going to find quite interesting. So, with that, and a kitty walking in front of my face, 
I'm going to wish you all a wonderful evening. I hope you have a great rest of your week. And I hope that your 2023 turns out to be a wonderful year. I'll be back here in two more weeks for the next exciting episode of Merge Worlds. I really do hope that you'll come and join me. All right? Thank you all very much for coming. You folks have yourselves a wonderful day.